We trust you had a blessed Thanksgiving. Would you stand wave with somebody across the room? Make sure they know that you're excited to see them here this morning. Isn't it good to be in church today? Father, for you are good, 
and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. that you're in this morning to a heavenly father that will never leave you, never fail you. 
And I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life. All my life you have been faithful In all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God And I love your voice
your goodness we remind ourselves of your goodness we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your faithfulness to us oh Lord you have never forsaken us you've never let us down you are so so good hallelujah and we bless your name for it and we thank you for it hallelujah hallelujah great is the Lord and greatly to be praised Blessed be your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He has been so, so good to us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, before you're seated, why don't you introduce yourself to several people around you? Give them a warm welcome. Good morning and God bless you. And after you've done that, then you may be seated. To those of you who are worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. We know that you're going to be ministered to by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. For those of you who are worshiping with us today for the first time, we are glad that you're here. If you wouldn't mind just filling out a Connect card, it's in the seat in front of you and let us know just that you're here. If there's anything we can pray with you about or help you in any way, if you can let us know via that Connect card, we would appreciate it. Um, you know, in our church, we like to say that we follow what the Word of God says and that we're doers of the Word. And so I'm going to do that this morning. Now, my husband is a very private man and shy. And so the Lord has quite the sense of humor that he ever has been a pastor. But, you know, the Bible has, and so he would not uh, like me to do what I'm about to do. And I'm going to do it in a way I think that he will be able to handle it, okay? Uh, so those of you that know him know this. And so I'm going to give scripture first of all. In Romans 13, 7, it says, pay to all what is owed them, honor 
to whom honor is due. And then 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. And then, uh, so I'm, I said all that to say yesterday was Pastor Mike's birthday. And so we wish him a happy birthday, but we do it in honoring him. So you're not allowed to clap nor stand. You, at the end of what I'm about to say, you may just lift your hand and say, praise the Lord, because that's how he would like it. He doesn't want too much fanfare. And so um, I just would like to say, and I posted this um, I, I don't. I haven't been crying lately, so this is unusual. Okay, so I'm just going to read what I wrote on social media because it's easier for me. Okay, happy birthday, Pastor Mike. We honor you today. The Bible says, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor for your faithfulness to teach the word, to have integrity." to stand in the face of adversity, to never waver, to walk in love even when people spoke ill of you, and to not only teach the truth, but to live it. For pastoring our church for 38 years and in ministry for 43, I'm sorry. We thank you and we love you. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm crying. Anyway, happy birthday. We honor our pastor. Now, this, is, this might be kind of a funny scripture here. And I don't know if on someone's birthday, they might like to hear this scripture, but it's true nonetheless. It's in Leviticus of all books. Leviticus 19, 30 through 32. You shall stand up before the gray head <laughs> and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So anyway, I'm not saying he's old or anyone in here is old. I'm just saying that the American church needs to read that scripture in that all of us, generally speaking, should honor our parents, should honor those who are older in us in the Lord, should honor people that have gray hair. Most you can't really tell anymore who has gray hair because the vast majority, yes, thank God, Anne, the vast majority of us have it colored. Praise the Lord for color in the 21st century. Anyway, we honor our pastor today, and um, I'm sure I butchered that pretty well, but I trust that you get my heart, and you'll just wish Pastor Mike today a happy birthday. Amen. Praise the Lord. We want to thank those of you who um, contributed to Operation Christmas Child. We had a great showing of boxes this year, as well as money that was given to the church that we sent on to Samaritan's Purse. And so just thank you, everybody, for your, for your generosity and who helped in any way with that. Ladies, this Tuesday night, we will be having our Bible study here at the church at 7 o'clock. Um, and so please join us for that. We always have a great time not only studying the Word, but we also have a wonderful time worshiping and in prayer. Then um, we just want to remind you that in our bookstore, we always have a sale around this time of year, and we have uh, some new books in there and various things, and so um, take advantage of the sale. Everything is 20% off. Pastor Mike's um, 
uh, uh, CDs and um, then MP3s and all that. That is on sale as well. And so take advantage of that. There's some really great books in there. We've read the vast majority of them. And, um, you know, how few people really read anymore. Uh, and we, we need to continually, all our life, never stop learning the word of God. Never think that we know everything because we certainly don't. And we should always continually grow in the word. Amen. Um, so we have um, uh, Leon Lacey here with us today. And he's going to come. He's holding his little... Are you going to bring the baby too? People really like you if you bring the baby. No, it's fine. <laughs> he may cry. Anyway, uh, Leon is here worshiping with us today, and he's going to be uh, just sharing his heart with us a little bit about the orchestrated Christmas that uh, will be presented here at the church Sunday night, December the 17th, from 6 till 7.30 p.m. Leon's going to bring his 29 or 30-piece orchestra. He's going to bring five vocals. Um, there's going to be... Um, uh, uh, Daniel Rodriguez is one of the vocals. He was here uh, Veterans Day, and so you know what a blessing he was. And so uh, please pick up your tickets um, for that event. I promise you it will be the most wonderful musical experience that our church has seen. Are you all coming? Come now, come now. I'm talking until you get up here. And... Um, uh, and so pick up your tickets at the information center after the service and um, invite a friend. I have invited several people, my neighbors, the gal that does my hair is coming. And so anyway, we, we just want many people to be blessed by this. Okay, Leon, we love you and say whatever you want to say. And this is their little interview. Everyone's going to be most interested. Good, good morning. So good to see you. And a happy birthday to Pastor. It's such an honor to be here. And I just um, asked my wife to come up to say hello real quick. And this is our son, Kairos. Want to say hi? Okay. And, and we're, we're so honored and fortunate to be here because of Mr. Mark Mitchell and his wife, Miss Cynthia Mitchell. And we see her daughter and grandson. And so thank you so much for just thinking so highly of us to have us come and, and share. Want to say hi real quick? Yes, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. We're so excited for this um, orchestration for Christmas. It's going to be amazing. Um, so we're so excited. Can't wait to see you guys there. Okay. And um, yes, my name is Leon Lacey. And, and my wife and I, we, we moved from New York about um, six, six years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate to be in the... Um, film television industry where I get to make music and scores for TV and film and also I get to work with some very popular artists who are touring the country or who have albums and things like that. Different genres, um, different audiences. And so moving here to California, um, my wife and I, we've been married for, it'll be almost nine years. On Valentine's Day, it'll be nine years. And so it was a huge step of faith because we don't have any family out here. We, before he, he, Kairos was just born last year. So before that, it was just Stephanie and I. You know, we, we, we live in a valley, so it takes about an hour and 10 minutes to come. But we, every time we come to the service and hear pastor, we, we just, and then worship Brother Chip, um, we just really enjoy the service. We wish we were kind of closer, you know, so we can come more frequently. But um, um, Mr. Mark Mitchell, um, he reached out to me this year. He's been like a guardian angel over, over my life, over actually since I met him. 
And he said, hey, well, you know, what do you think about maybe doing a um, Christmas production at the church? And so I, I, I didn't know, what, you know, the church. I was not familiar with the church, so I came to visit. And then after I visit, I was like, wow, this is a beautiful ministry, you know. And um, I said, I would love to, you know. So I said, what do you think? And he said, well, well, why don't you do what you normally do? And so I started the year off. Is it okay to say? Do whatever you want to say. Say whatever I I started the year off... Um, January 1st um, in Dubai with Beyonce. So um, it was a huge project. Uh, they they called over to do this amazing show for like 50 minutes. And I got the call to orchestrate all her music. And I had to, sc I had to score out 20 songs in six days. And um, if you know me, um, you will know God works through me this way because I always get big calls at the last minute and I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm, I'm losing sleep. It's like being at war, you know. Um, there's different levels of musicianship and these guys to tell you, you know, when it's time to get ready for a big production, there's a lot of things that's happening. So I'm, as I was writing the music, about the third day, I have to give God the credit. Um, I felt like the spirit of God was saying, you know, I need to go to the rehearsals and see the rehearsal where Beyonce and all the, the, the whole crew and, and team and everything is going to be. So as soon as I walked in this rehearsal, it was like God was speaking to me. He said, you know what? You need to be going to Dubai, not just writing the music. Um, and I didn't say nothing. I just listened to the rehearsal. Before the rehearsal was over, the management came over to me and said, we really think you should be going to Dubai to make sure this music is executed correctly. And so before I knew it, they had, um, was fitting me to, because they not only want me to go, they wanted me to conduct the music as well. So it was just like levels and levels of blessings that started off 2023. Um, from there on, you know, I was fortunate to work with Bishop Jakes um, and so many other different um, notable people. Um, and this is the year that I met Mr. Mark Mitchell. He invited my wife and I, and Kairos was about three months over to the NASCAR racetrack, and we were just fellowshipping, and, you know, we just got a chance to meet each other more. And fast forward to now, Mark is allowing, you know, me to bring, like you said, about 30, 31 pieces of music. It might be about 35 by, by the time the concert comes. But we have a full string section come in, a harp player, timpanis, horn section, classical pianist, a rhythm section, um, we're, we're looking at the stage design now to figure out how we're going to lay everything out so everybody has space. But we're doing a full show, about 90 minutes, and uh, our main purpose is to give highest praise and glory to God for just sending, thinking of us enough to send his son into the world. You know, we want to commemorate this holiday um, just in the most magnificent way. And, you know, we once we got the um, the call to do this, I started writing the music about two, three months ago. So the musicians, they're all excited. The sing or there's some singers are coming. Also, Mr. Chip is gonna be joining uh, some of the music. Ah! I'm, I'm gonna try to get Ryan to play too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to see what other musicians want to play. So, uh, we, you know, we just want to customize it where it's not just a bunch of outsiders coming in, but we want to make it feel like it's a, a family affair. I'm trying to get some children involved, you know, so. Um, yeah, um, you know, I'm just honored to be able to use my gift. Um, and the last thing I want to say is, no matter where I go in the world or who I work with, my passion is to give God glory with the, the gift that he's given me and the disciplines 
that he's given me because it's an ongoing thing. It's an everyday thing, and it's not just a musical thing. Um, so when I'm, whether I'm teaching master classes or encouraging my friends or peers, I try to let them see it's, it's not about music, but it's about disciplines. And we all have different disciplines that can really serve our life and help us manifest what God is trying to do to us. And that's something I really enjoy about the pastor here. You know, every time I hear, I, I love the discipline of, of his scripture and how he's, he's put the messages together. Um, so thanks so much for having us. And I hope you guys come out and, and let people know. Thank you so much. Is he a beautiful spirit? I'm telling you, he's a precious, precious man. And how wonderful it is that God put you in that position that he can influence so many different people. I mean, what a blessing. So we know that when we're praying, you know, for different people, there are always people behind the scenes or somewhere that we may never know their name, that they're influencing others for Jesus. Amen. And we, we appreciate you. We're looking forward to it. Amen. So not only be sure to come, but be sure to invite other people to come. Maybe your neighbors, people that aren't born again, you know, people will come to church if you tell them what type of a concert it is and how, uh, you know, how much we're charging for these tickets, you guys are getting a real deal. And um, children 13 and under are free even. And so um, so invite invite others to come with you and uh, let's have this be an, an opportunity for an outreach unto others. Amen. We're going to ask the ushers to come at this time. Oh, I'm wondering, We ha I have that one video. Should we show that one video? I have one video of you. Should I show it? I gave it to you guys. Okay, let's play this one video. I thought this would just give you a little peek. This is one of um, Leon's, uh, was it a black tie concert? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, play that one video I sent you guys. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we don't want to keep looping it, but you get you got a little bit of an idea there. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we're going to ask our ushers to come at this time. We're going to receive our offering. And in the spirit of speaking about honor today, I'm going to read this scripture regarding our giving. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord. Honor him. We're to honor one another. We're to show honor to, you know, those who are older in the Lord. There are different things the Bible speaks about honor. But this scripture says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. And so when we put God first in our giving, not when we give God what's left over, or if there's anything left over. But if we honor him when we are, when he blesses us by the fruit of our hands in what, what it is that we do, and we show him honor by giving to him first, that is what he tells us to do. And he promises that he will take care of us and provide for us. And it's in ways far more ever than only monetarily does he and will he take care of us and bless our lives. And so let's pray. Lord, we honor you. Always, Lord, with our giving, with the first fruits of our increase, O Lord, we honor you and we worship you. We withhold not good from those who it's due when it's in the power of our hand to do it. But Father, we honor you. Hallelujah. 
and we worship you. For you are great and you are faithful. You are our Lord, you are our everything. And it's such a small thing that we do when we honor you with our tithes and offerings. But it is a way that we show you, we think of you first. We think of you first in all that we do. We thank you, Father, for taking care of our church family. We thank you, Father, for provision and for, for protection and for peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our understanding this morning that we might know who we are in Christ and what it means. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. This man identifies that the reason for his great faith or the foundation for his great faith has to do with his military profession. Now, what do we know about military training? The first thing we know is that before somebody goes into the service, they have to go to boot camp. And that boot camp is designed for one and only one thing, and that is to teach the new recruits the chain of command in other words, it's to teach people that have come from all walks of life, some from disciplined uh, conditions to undisciplined conditions for others. Basic training is all about obedience. Now, the centurion has applied it to other aspects that is the discipline that he lives his life by he understands
it'll defeat, it'll defeat and, or and or change circumstances that we're, that we're experiencing. And there's not and a thing, not a thing the, devil the devil can do. Can do. Now, back, now up back up with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter, chapter 7. seven. Verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings, sayings of mine and doeth them, do them, I will like him like unto a wise, wise man who built his house, his house upon a rock. And the rain, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind, and the winds blew, and beat and upon, upon that house, and it fell not, fell not, was found upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be like a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain, and the rain and the floods, floods, and the winds, the winds blew and beat upon, and beat that, upon house, that house, and it fell, and, it fell, and great was great the fall, was the fall of, it. of it. And it came, and it to, came pass to pass when Jesus, when Jesus said in the same saying, the people were people astonished, astonished at his doctrine. For he taught, for he taught them, them as one having authority in the scribes. Notice in verse 8, 28, it says the people were amazed at his doctrine. It doesn't say they were amazed at his power. It doesn't, it doesn't say that their lives were changed by the display of God's power where people were healed or miracles were accomplished. They were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. For as he taught them, as one having authority and not as the scribes, notice the word one is in italics. That means that the translators added it trying to help us understand but I think their lack of knowledge of God's character is the real reason that they added the one, the word one in here. But if you take out that word one, the translation of the words that are used would read this way, for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Now the teaching that he did, this is the, um, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was teaching the multitudes. And if you go back to where it starts in chapter 5, It tells you the things that Jesus taught them. And most of it has to do with walking in love, how to handle yourself in, in physical affairs, and so forth. Jesus is teaching them that they have authority. He's not teaching that he has authority. And there was a time not too long ago as embarrassing as it is, that I had the idea, the general idea that Jesus just sent the disciples out to tell people about him. 
tell them that he was the Messiah. But that's one of the, the last things that he would have the disciples teach. So these people are astonished at his doctrine and his teaching, for he taught them as or how having means to hold. He taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Back to chapter 8, verse 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See that thou tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So after Jesus has been teaching a great deal, it's the longest sermon that we have record of of Jesus. But after Jesus taught this sermon, knowing that he is teaching them how to hold authority, he basically boiled it down to handling yourself righteously, being a doer of the word, walking in love. Now here are two examples of people in Jesus' day that exercised their authority. The leper that comes to Jesus says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He didn't know about the willingness of God. And the only way that he would know and find out about the willingness of God is to do exactly what he did and go to Jesus with his request. Jesus didn't hesitate. He didn't pray to find out if it was God's will for him to heal this man. Jesus, faced with the question of God's willingness, acted instantly, immediately. And he simply declares his will. I will be thou clean. So the, the leper had confidence in the power of God. He just didn't have the same confidence in the willingness of God to heal. But Jesus acted instantly to come against the, the thing that was holding the man in bondage to leprosy. Now, leprosy was the great incurable disease of Bible days. And Jesus did not waste the opportunity for this man, this leper, to know and understand God the Father. 
So his question was really to Jesus, will you heal me? Jesus didn't have to stop and separate himself from the people to find some great display of power. He simply answered his question. He put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So what does this mean? What does this tell us? One of the things it means is you cannot believe God beyond actual knowledge. One of the things that uh, parts of Brother Hagin's testimony is that when he was on deathbed as a 16-year-old boy, he was struggling through lack of knowledge, ignorance of the truth, really. He was struggling with the thoughts that the devil was bombarding his mind with. And he just spoke out to the Lord. He said, Father, if you appeared and told me that my problem was I didn't believe I'd have to say you're lying. I do believe. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit on the inside of him spoke to him and said, you do believe as far as you know. But there was more that he had to, uh, had to learn to put in practice to receive his healing and get off that deathbed. So Brother Hagin said one of the first lessons that he learned about faith is that you have to have Knowledge as a foundation. You can't believe God beyond what you know. So the result that we see here in Matthew chapter 8 of the teaching that amazed the people in chapter 7 and that brings us back to the centurion the centurion's great faith was very simple. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. When you and I get to the place where we're willing to take the word of God as the truth or the foundation for us to act like God's word is true, as that definition of faith was given. Speak the word only. Now, if you, it, it, since it says that he declared, 
for God to speak the word only, that means not speak the word only and change the situation or change the circumstances or relieve oneself from the circumstances of life. Speak the word only. We oftentimes talk about the fight of faith and the importance of understanding how the devil comes against us so that we can stand against him effectively. But there is, along with the faith fight, a different kind of fight that I think most of us don't give much attention to. And the other kind of work of the devil or fight we have with the devil is what we see in the Bible example of sieges. Turn with me at Second Kings chapter twenty, chapter six, and we'll start with verse twenty-four. And it came to pass after this that Ben Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of goat, dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now, sieges was a, a passive form of warfare. And the siege consisted of an enemy that would go to their enemy's city and set up blockades around the city. And it was a, uh, it was a test of supplies and resources. The purpose for the blockades was to keep any food or drink from going into the city like I said it was a passive form of warfare now once the siege started I'm sure it took a while to, to get everything in order but once the siege was implemented It really depends on the opposing force. Because the only way to end a siege is for the people of the besieged city to surrender or for the opposing force to give up and just pack up their stuff and go home. But this siege has been taking place for some time, apparently. 
Verse 26, and as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give me thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So they've got two sons. So they're making a deal, which one? To be killed and eaten first, and then the next day they'd kill and eat the other son. Now, folks, this is, I have a, a, a harder time with this than any other thing that there is in the Bible. And it seems that it's just our Western mentality. I'm not talking about the Wild West. I'm talking about the part of the world that's west of the Middle East where most of these things took place and Bible stories come from. I just can't imagine anything not just hunger pains but anything that would justify the killing and eating of a child so that the parents could live I just don't know any way for us to relate to it. Now, this, uh, the details of this story are a little blind to us. Or maybe it's just because we don't have any experience with sieges or really understand them that much. So the woman's still talking. Verse 29, So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of this woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. And all the people looked and behold he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then said he, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. So this siege has been going on for some time. Now this story is on the heels of another story that you're familiar with, I'm sure. It's earlier in this sixth chapter of Second Kings. It tells us about how the, the king of Syria was waging war against Israel. And the king would tell his military officers or his military command, where to attack and where to put their camp and so forth. And Elisha, 
the prophet would tell the king, the king of Israel, what the king of Syria had planned to do. And it tells us that this happened several times over a period of months, I guess. And the king of Syria thinks that they've got a spy among them. But other servants of his says not that somebody is spying on us. It's that the prophet tells his king the words that you speak in your bedroom. So the king sends word for his servants to find out where Elisha is so he can go and capture him, which is kind of foolish sounding to me because if the king of Israel is informed by Elisha where the military camps of their enemies are, why would he think that the prophet wouldn't know that the king of Syria had sent people to capture him. And so in the morning, Elisha's servant looks out and sees the Syrian army surrounding the house, the home that they're in. And Elisha just casually says, don't be afraid, there's more of them that are with us than are with them. And the servant questions that. He says, there's you and me. How, how is it there's more to help the two of us rather than be under the power of the Syrian army? So he prays, the prophet prays for his servant to see what things are really like. And his spiritual eyes were open, and he saw the Syrian army surrounded by chariots of fire. So when Elisha said, there's more with us than are with them, he's talking about angels. He's talking about things in the unseen realm. But folks, things being unseen doesn't stop the reality of the truth. And it's most often that the true things are unseen. So this company of soldiers that have come out against Elisha, Elisha simply prays Lord, blind their eyes, and they all went blind. They're not blindness, it's like sickness, but the power of God just closed their eyes. And Elisha gave instruction for his servant to lead them to the land of Samaria. And when he gets there, the king of Israel is inclined and questions Elisha about what do we do? Do we kill them now? 
And Elisha says to give them food and drink. And so they did. And then they departed back to where the king of Syria was. Related the story. And the king of Syria ended his war with Israel. So Elisha has been involved with the king of Israel. But they don't seem to be on the same page. And that's why we come to the place where the king of Syria, during the besieging of of Samaria, threatens to kill Elisha. Verse 32, Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat with him and the king sent a man from before him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, here's Elisha, speaking by revelation, see how this son of a murderer, talking about the king of Israel, see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast. At the door is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he yet talks with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him. And he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What shall I wait for the Lord any longer? Now notice his, his attitude toward God in this time of great distress. The city is being besieged. People are dying. Women are making deals to kill and eat their children. But something has happened with the king of Israel. Somehow he tries to put the responsibility of it on Elisha, which Elisha didn't have anything to do with any of it. He's just being used by God to help Israel. But the king of Israel apparently is claiming to have waited on God and trusted God to some degree, in some measure. But he comes to the point where he gives up his trust in God And because he was such a wicked king, the information that's given to us is probably a faith based on hypocrisy. But something triggers God to move. So in chapter 7, verse 1, then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord tomorrow about this time. Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria? Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned. In other words, an advisor answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. 
And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we'll die there. And if we still sit here, we'll die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, most of their options just leave them facing death. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in twilight and left their tent and their horses and their asses, even the, the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Don't you just love the way God chose himself in some of the simplest ways? He made the, the Syrian army to hear a noise that sounded like chariots. And as a result, the Syrian army fled. After leaving all their stuff, the noise that they heard put these people into a panic, put these trained soldiers into an absolute panic. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and, and carried them also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not do well. This, is the, this day is the day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there is no man there, neither the voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters and told it to the king's house. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servant, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore they are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So the king's certainly not recognizing any hand of God for deliverance here. And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say that they are even as the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed, and let us send and see. So you got two women in the city that are making deals to boil and eat their children, but you still got king's horses that could have been eaten, 
So everything's not all right with this king, apparently. His behavior is giving it away. Verse 14, so they took therefore two chariot horses and the king sent after the chariot of the host of the Syrians, saying, go and see. And they went after them under Jordan and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel or pennies and two measures of barley for shekel or pennies according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate and he died. He was trampled by the people. As the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. I think there are some things that are taking place in our country and in the world that we live in. that shows a spiritual application or comparison to being besieged as in a war. You know, since we know how the devil operates, and the Bible is pretty clear about his deception and so forth. Overcoming the enemy in any kind of battle, financial, physical, or any other kind of battle that we find ourselves can be broken down into one simple thing. And that is if you'll outlast the devil... You'll win every time. But it's also true when it comes to a spiritual besieging. And I see this from a standpoint of a physical siege was about denying food and water and resources until the enemy surrenders. But I see a lot of spiritual parallels to being besieged too. The Bible tells us how the devil operates. And the Bible requires us, faith demands that we not change based on the natural circumstances if we're going to expect a victory over the devil.
So most things, most battles that Christians fight have to do with the willingness to trust the word regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. But a spiritual siege is designed to make you turn from the truth of the word as your answer. And folks, I'm sure you know this to some degree from your own personal experience. But I can tell you that a spiritual besieging is tougher to endure than any any faith battle I ever remember. Faith battles are usually pretty short term in their duration. And the majority of Christians don't give themselves to doing what it takes to stand and keep standing no matter how long it is. One of Israel's greatest times of difficulty was changed by God causing a noise to be heard. Now the Bible doesn't say that God had angel chariots making the noise. It just says he caused them to hear. That would imply, in my thinking, he caused them to hear something that wasn't there. He changed the situation not by sending reinforcements, but simply making the the enemy to hear a noise that they would associate with their enemy's resources. It's amazing to me how few Christians are willing to take hold of the word. Do you remember in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus was teaching the parable of the sower, sowing the word. He said there were four types of ground, the wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. The wayside doesn't produce any fruit. 
The stony ground doesn't produce any fruit. The thorny ground produces a little bit of fruit that's choked out by the thorns. And then the good ground produces fruit or wins the victory. Now of the good ground, Jesus said that some received 30-fold, some received 60-fold, and some received 100-fold. So you've got one-third of the 25% that the good ground makes up, which is about 8%. Only about 8% of believers in the body of Christ are living victoriously and defeating the devil when he rises up against them. Well, if 8% or one-third of the 25% of the type of ground, if 8% are going to win the victories and walk in the victory that Jesus' blood has provided for us, What is required of that 8%? Well, first and foremost, they've got to be doers of the word. And when I say doers of the word, I don't mean short-time participants. I believe that 8% is first and foremost above everything else aware of the need to maintain trust in God by acting on his word. And to resist every opportunity to question God, to question His will, to question His word. And must have an answer to give when circumstances rise up. You remember in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus saw the tree that was supposed to have fruit on it but didn't, it says he answered the tree. Now, it doesn't tell us the tree spoke, but the condition of the tree identified something that Jesus would and should deal with. So he answers the tree and says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Next morning the tree is withered and dried up from the roots. Jesus tells us, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. It doesn't say whosoever talks to God about the mountain or the problem. It says whosoever says unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And maintains his profession of faith. Refuses to speak anything other than the truth of the word that he's already stepped out on. Let me read to you from Luke's Gospel, the centurion servant event. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. And when he had ended the saying, all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into the Capernaum. And certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou should enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and to say unto one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said to the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, Found that the servant found the servant whole that had been sick. Luke seems to put some personality to the centurion. That goes a little further than what we read about in Matthew. He's got a servant that's at the point of death, and apparently they've tried everything possible because he was ready to die. So they tried everything they could and nothing worked or nothing helped. And so they were without hope. What was there left to hope in? Now when they hear about Jesus healing the sick, that brings them hope. But it would seem that the centurion put a little bit more thought into what was available and what they could do. He's certainly not trying to put himself up 
because he doesn't even go, if we're interpreting it correctly. The centurion never speaks to Jesus himself. But those that he sends to represent him, first the elders of the Jews, But the message is the same. The centurion simply says, speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only. Speak the word only. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Because it's a command from the universe, the creator of the universe. Speak the word only. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. So great faith is founded on God's word. And is brought into being through the exercise of our authority over sickness and disease. Now, Jesus is the power over sickness and disease, but you're the one with authority for the power to work. The heroes in Israel's deliverance from the being besieged by the Syrians they're delivered by the no, a noise of something that was not there and is brought into their hands by the lowest in society, these lepers. If the lepers hadn't decided to do something, Israel would have starved to death inside their city and not even have known that the sieging was over. So God delivered Israel by a noise 
and he's, de he's delivered the city by the efforts of four lepers. Why sit here till we die? The lepers said, if we go into the city, there's famine there and we'll die. If we don't do anything but get, just keep sitting here, we'll die doing that. But if we go to the Syrians, they can either kill us or not kill us. If they kill us, we were already going to die every other way. If they don't kill us, then nothing but benefit comes to us. God put it in the hearts of four lepers before the delivery of Israel was really accomplished. He moved and motivated them to take action. And by the time they acted to go to the Syrian army, that was when God had moved, causing the noise to be heard. The biggest crisis that we can think of is oftentimes the thing that God turns around by doing something so simple. He just makes them hear a noise. Again, it doesn't say he created a noise. He just made the Syrian army to hear a noise. That's how hard it is for God to deliver us from our issues and difficulties, afflictions and troubles. Let's pray. Father, you are so great. You delivered your people by a sound that didn't exist. You turned the captivity of your people time and time again in the simplest of ways and the simple ways that you've chosen to deliver your people makes us aware of how great you are and how small our problems are how easy it is for you to bring victory and deliverance. No matter how long it's been since this trouble started, 
You are the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the deliverer from all of our enemies. Father, we stand strong in faith because of the word that you've spoken. We're not like the centurion who has to get you to speak the word. We have the word. And we speak what you have spoken. You said because we've set our love upon you, you deliver us. Because we've known your name, you'd set us on high. You said you would answer when we called upon you. You'd be with us in trouble. You'd rescue and you'd honor us. With long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. Thank you, Father, for the word that you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Say this after me. God is bigger than my problem. And because I've set my love upon him, he's promised to deliver me. Amen. One day, the fortunes of Israel went from starvation and death to great victory in one day's time. Well, say say this with me now. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and his power to deliver does too. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.